0: Welcome to IOM 3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Materials People, the podcast where we host conversations between materials practitioners across art and design and science and engineering to look at shared materials and see how we all got there. Um, Today, I am so, so pleased to be joined by Elliot Roth and Phoebe Lewis, um, two incredible seaweed practitioners who use color as a material. Um, And so to kind of introduce them, Elliot Roth is the founder of Spira, Inc., a B2B food technology company creating plant-based ingredients from spirulina algae. He is a graduate of biomedical engineering from Virginia Commonwealth University, and he is incredibly motivated to solve physiological needs with simple biological design. He is a DIY astrobiologist and writer with extensive entrepreneurial experience and a personal practice and brand that sits at the intersection of social impact, synthetic biology, and food. Elliot is a Kairos Fellow, a Seasteading Ambassador, and a member of the TFF Next Gen Council for Youth Entrepreneurship. He has spoken at SynBioBeta, South by Southwest, and Thought for Food. Amazing resume. Phoebe Lewis, a product designer developing sustainable products that help restore marine ecosystems and coastal communities. She is a recent graduate of Northumbria University's Design for Industry program, and she currently works at Nopla, a seaweed and plant-based packaging company. She has exhibited at the Surface Design Show 2022 under New Talent and has won the New Designer Color and Design Award and was shortlisted and selected as Judge Favorite in the 2021 Global Design Graduate Show for her work in seaweed pigments. Within her practice, Phoebe develops pigments from seaweed, expanding her research into the UK macroalgae industry and developing a more comprehensive pigment range uh, throughout her practice. Um, Thank you both so much for joining today.
2: Thanks. Thank you. We're good to, do to be that intro to everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting the shakes out, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess to get the ball rolling, um, mm-hmm. we'll start off by getting a sense of your background. How did you end up here in seaweed? Um, Leo,
3: you
2: want to take this one? Yeah, yeah, I can go. <laughs> um, so, my, my first start in seaweed came back in probably 2016 and I was food insecure. I was living in Richmond, Virginia, not exactly like the center of biotechnology or anything like that. So I started doing consulting work, uh, and I had a couple of clients that never paid me. And as a 22-year-old trying to get started doing consulting, that's kind of terrible. Um, Yeah, so it was either move into my parents' basement or figure things out. Um, I didn't really want to move into my parents' basement, although I did have the privilege in that safety net that I recognized to, to be able to do that. So I started dumpster diving for food uh, to try to make ends meet. I was couch surfing. Uh, turns out that behind the food lion, you can get a lot of expired food for, for cheap or free. Um, and so I uh, volunteered with food, not bombs and anti-war movement to try to kind of like, Feed myself. And all the while, in the back of my mind, I was like, this is insane. Like, food is one of the basic necessities. It's a human right. You know, um, why do we still have the problem of not having our basic needs met in this kind of civilized society? Like, 40% of food is wasted. So I was really looking to try to find a way to replace all of my basic necessities. And at the time, my roommate was chugging down soy lint, like, no big deal. And, uh, he ended up giving me his expired month long subscription to Soylent and I started eating it and I was like, I should be able to recreate this. And while I was in school, I had started a DIY bio lab or community biology laboratory. This is a lab that's like open access. Um, I just got really frustrated working in academia, not being able to get hands-on experience, um, doing different kind of research. And so I got together with uh, a couple of folks and we built it in a garage space and opened it up to community and welcomed in inner city kids and taught them how to get hands-on access to experimental science. So I was doing this while I was an undergrad. And after I graduated, I have this lab. And so I was like, well, I have this laboratory that we have all this dumpster diving equipment and like all this gear should be able to use it to produce my basic necessities. And I looked into what NASA was doing for astronauts, because tiny space, no resources, nothing like that. And turns out that they were growing algae. And so I thought what I could do is grow algae in a very similar way and eat it. I mean, NASA is not going to feed astronauts something that makes them die. So I figure it would be okay. I wasn't going to die. Um, So I started growing in these aquarium tanks that I got from friends that donated it to me. And I would take big scoops of the algae spirulina out of the tanks and I would eat that. And so that's what I lived on for two and a half months, uh, along with whatever additional food waste I could find. So that's how I first discovered the joy of algae. And then I was like, everybody should be eating algae. Everybody should be growing algae. We need to use it to be free. Um, And fresh algae has no taste. and so. Luckily, I was able to eat it consistently as kind of like a yogurt-like supplement. Mm. Um, and that's how I discovered algae in the first place. Very interesting.
1: And and Phoebe, what about you? How did you get to the point of meeting seaweed?
3: So, uh, yeah, I, I met seaweed at, at university. It was all in the height of lockdown and kind of going on my my daily or every other day, cycle to the coast uh, from, in Newcastle just sort of being inspired by the sea and seeing what was there seeing how the season kind of changed everything how lockdown and brexit in particular were like impacting the coastal communities and seeing all these different sort of boarded up shops and loads of sort of rundown buildings not a lot happening get like engaged more so with the coastline and then the project kind of spawned from this idea of an alternate catch so it's like how can we work with fishermen and people who are living on these coastal towns to offer them an alternate livelihood. And but like one that doesn't say, hey, go get a desk job because fishing's bad. It's like actually how can we utilize these skills that you've gained over generations and improve this area. So yeah, it kind of started there and then it was more of just messing around (laughs) at home, seeing what I can make from seaweed and then lots of lots of theory of research and then finally getting like two days in a lab to put theory into practice and thankfully it paid off (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah here we are oh that's awesome that's awesome
1: I mean I think it's really interesting how from both of your perspectives there's like kind of a thread of making do with available material there's a there's a thread of very like DIY of building up your know-how like yourself and i'm i'm curious in this instance i guess what was your process in that regard in terms of learning more about this material what were some some of the maybe the the, the weird wacky setups that you made for yourself in order to get some of these things to work
2: oh yeah yeah there's tons <laughs> um, well initially i was i was using these big aquarium tanks to try to harvest enough material And get it out. And and I really only discovered um, pigments and other biomaterials from algae after eating it for some time. And so like some of the weirder things that I ended up doing, you have to like filter it out, you wash it, you scoop it out, eat it like yogurt, you can mix it in all kinds of different things. And so... I remember going to farmer's markets and trying to sell people like photosynthetic beverages. I was like, Hey, here's a photosynthetic beverage. And people would be like, what is this weird, like really dark green slime thing that I'm drinking? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Like it's going to be completely okay. And I was growing this in a garage space. Right. So big tanks of green bubbling algae. I feeling like a mad scientist. Um, some of the like more interesting experiments actually came about when um, you reach kind of like a breaking point. You're you're doing things out of necessity, um, and so I oftentimes think that you're defined by these like boundaries of play, and it's kind of on the basis of your ability. The people with tons of money don't have to experiment or don't have to try hard things because you're able to get access to all kinds of equipment or materials or whatever. Um, because you have the financing to do it. So for me, we had to fix up all this equipment that we found in, uh, labs that were like going out of business. And so by fixing up this equipment, um, I was doing kind of genetic engineering work in a garage laboratory in the middle of nowhere with bullet holes in the walls from this old workshop and like way too many spiders, so many spiders everywhere. (laughs) And, um, it just it makes it so that you get really um aware of what um what you can do to kind of make ends meet and keep things cost effective
3: yeah definitely um for me, I guess I started by trying to recreate the North Sea mm. in in a tank in in my room, <laughs> <laughs> and it failed many many times, and it was mainly just to see if I could grow. On a really micro scale, my own seaweed mm-hmm. to then do my tests on and stuff like that, just to see how it grows and how the different links work. And essentially ended up getting very emotionally attached to the creatures I put in the tank. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, didn't really want to upset them too much with too many different variations. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually tried to set them free in the wild. <laughs> Um, so I wasn't very good at keeping my tank and then the pigment side of things I guess came from a research paper where I read someone had done used this blue pigment but not for its pigment or color purposes in it from a seaweed and then I had a conversation with my at the time like industry idol and she told me that you can't get blue from seaweed in particular macroalgae so, like macroalgae, is that from microalgae or macroalgae?
2: Yeah, this is from microalgae.
1: So, oh, this so just really shows, uh, a blue pigment.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, very beautiful pigment there. Uh, and we were, so we were talking about macroalgae, and I knew that the pigment was in one particular seaweed. And, yeah, she told me I can't do it. So, I spent the following year trying to prove her wrong, and I did. <laughs>
1: nice. nice. good. So
2: cool. <laughs> I guess the the way that I kind of came about to pigments was I interviewed everybody who had failed in algae biofuels. So it was was a cumbersome long route, but um, algae biofuels was a huge topic in the early 2010s. And um, there was over a billion dollars that went into that sector and none of the companies ended up working. And so I got a National Science Foundation grant to talk to folks. And I interviewed over uh, 250 or so people wow. to figure out why algae companies had failed. Um, and then presented at the Algae Biomass Summit and got asked not to come back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I guess this is an interesting segue into, I guess, a, a larger topic within the space, within the field, is that as more and more kind of companies and people are looking at seaweed and algae and other kind of plant and marine-based materials, Um, there is Mm. this kind of question of scale and manufacture and what the future of these kind of processes would look like. And so I'm curious from your perspective, how do you see this moving forward? How do you see the future of biomanufacturing?
2: Good question. I mean, I think one of the the key elements that I discovered when talking to all the people that had failed in the past is that you want to um, focus on what what does not take a lot of money to get started with? And then what can you do that starts that sort of positive feedback cycle and positive growth? Um, think of it kind of like Tesla's master plan to transition people to electric cars. You got to have your Tesla Roadster first and then come down the cost curve. So like the Tesla Roadster in this case for algae biomaterials might be like algic Bloom foam that are used for Yeezy sneakers, right? Like (laughs) that's a super premium product Uh, and it's something where you only need a little bit of algae to get going. Um, Part of what's in the back of my mind during all of this as well is how do you set up these systems in a way that it, it kind of uh, reinvents the way that we actually produce things. If we're just Mm. using the same way that we go about producing things and exploiting native communities and like really destroying ecosystems by doing this. That's, that's horrific. Like we have the ability to reinvent the methods of the production. Mm-hmm. And so one of the main focuses of my team and some of our stakeholders are working with farmers in particular in developing countries mm-hmm. and supporting them paying more than a living wage, doing different things with carbon capture and sequestration, uh, related to the actual production of microalgal materials. Um, yeah, there, there's a couple of other key, like, leverage points when it comes to technology. But beyond that, I really think it's important to support farmers and, and really understand local ecosystems.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And and Phoebe, what about your take? I, I mean, I know we've had a little conversation about um, the role of community in your work, and it seems to have been a huge threat as to how you even got to seaweed in the first place. So, so what is your thought on this?
3: Yeah, I completely agree with what Elliot's saying. It's like, we do need to really support where these materials are coming from because I think as humans we have a, a very strong tendency to like misuse and overuse all of these beautiful resources and like seaweed at the moment is this super abundant and like plentiful resource that if produced in the wrong way or extracted and utilized in the wrong way could just end up becoming another one of these misused resources so we're at kind of a pinch point in the industry of how we decide how it grows. And I think it's moving away from these monopolizing large-scale industries and working with directly with communities on these smaller scale places that have more of a direct impact on marine environments in those areas and the people involved. And it's also with in terms of like what I'm doing and the pigment extraction, the methods that I'm using to extract the pigments, they don't make the rest of the material redundant. Mm -hmm. So in extracting pigments, you still have loads and loads of viable material to use so that there's multiple avenues for potential profits to be made in different areas and different industries as well. So it's not limited to colouring. It could be for fibres or textile or any other extracts you can possibly get from seaweed.
1: And I think an interesting kind of thread to that line of thinking, that line of biomanufacture is that Um, it brings back some of the diversity of making that I think pre-existed the industrial age. I think we're at an interesting point where we can balance out um, the wonders of globalization with the wonders of local craft and kind of understanding like, okay, what is it that maybe this region of the world is able to produce that might not be able, that might not be what's produced somewhere else in the world. And what is this kind of unique component that, can be shared further off, but might also kind of reinvigorate that that part of the world in a way that is sustainable and continues to to last longer. So I think there is this really interesting place where um, kind of this cross pollination can take place. Yeah, and I think your your vision for the future is very inspiring. I'm also quite curious. Where else do you see? seaweeds having a potential impact because both of you you we mentioned a bit earlier that biofuels it was like we tried it it's not really happening (laughs) um (laughs) um, you mentioned there are other kind of components of seaweeds that you work with that could have other uh, applications some of which that we're seeing now but where are some other places that you think we could take this
2: yeah you go first Bibi. i'm really interested in hearing what you have to say
1: yeah i mean um in terms of the work i'm doing at
3: Knoppler, they're using seaweed extracts in packaging for example to make try and make packaging disappear in this biodegradable packaging industry so there's like the material side there's work being done in the netherlands to develop a seaweed-based fiber for textiles so that that could totally revolutionize the textile industry in that sense yeah, there's a lot of potential avenues there's also looking at for food security and things like that, which I think is is kind of a slow take in a West society. One of, one of the feedback moments I got from one of my tutors at uni was, "Oh, why don't you just put seaweed in the fresh fruit and veg section of a supermarket?" Mm-hmm. which is great thinking, but also I don't know anyone that would buy that right now because even I don't, wouldn't know what to do with seaweed at home. Mm-hmm. I can pick it off itself, but mm. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I wouldn't know how to make it into a delicious meal where everything else you see on the shelves, you kind of know what to do with, but there's a lack of that knowledge of how can we best utilize seaweed with there not being any sort of poisonous seaweeds or they all have different flavors and qualities. Like how can we better integrate seaweed into I guess, common
2: practice. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like my main hurdle when I was first getting started and we did some work with the World Food Program on this was trying to uh, enable food security in refugee communities. We had a potential project in Ethiopia and it just costs money consistently, right? Like you have to apply consistent effort in those locations. And as a young company, we really couldn't do much. And so it's my motivation to start uh, getting seaweed algae into uh, the supply chain more and more and more because this is the carbon negative solution that we need. I like to tell people that there are four products and then three services that algae can provide. So the four products are uh, pigments, proteins, plastics, and pharmaceuticals, the four Ps. And then in terms of the services, you have carbon capture, uh, wastewater treatment, and then mineral accumulation of some sort. And so those variety of tasks that algae can do effectively and in kind of like a positive business economics. Mm-hmm. Um, what you really want is something that is more integrative. Um, so something that fully integrates uh, basically extracting the pigments, the proteins, plastics, and pharmaceuticals all in one. Uh, just like the oil industry ends up refining out from crude, uh, a variety of different products. We want the same thing coming from algae itself. And so just like um, Phoebe is looking into plastics, pigments, a bunch of different varieties from seaweed, we're doing the same thing for microalgae too, trying to figure out what are those compounds there? How do we actually work with farmers to grow them effectively? And then even design materials from scratch, starting from the genetic basis, because my team has a big Uh, background experience in synthetic biology.
1: Hmm, Very interesting. So how then, because I would imagine then that the eyes looking at seaweed are very varied. You're obviously going to have your biologists who've had this whole like basis of knowledge and there are more and more people kind of tapping into this world. And so I'm curious, what are the kind of different minds that you've seen enter the seaweed
2: space? There's all sorts. I mean, I, I think some of the more fun people are the material researchers, such as the two of you. That's, awesome to see some i I think material science ends up really pushing uh the world forward it's one of those core disciplines that if you don't have the right materials you really can't do much uh we have some product application specialists that really focus on recipe development how do you actually use and incorporate these different novel ingredients and compounds um i've research scientists on the team that actively plumb the literature and work with uh academics to develop uh, different kinds of scientific papers, reports, literature reviews, uh, proposals, grant applications, things like that. And then we have geneticists, bioinformaticians designing DNA that actually goes into our algae that is then grown at scale at these farms. Beyond that, I mean, there's the the folks that actually implement uh, and grow. So I've, I've like chemical engineers that are processing the algae that comes out, but I have farmers. Now we work with 40 farms in 12 different countries. It's like India, Peru, Thailand, Indonesia, Burkina Faso, really all over the world to go about producing the raw algae that we need to produce our pigments um, and beyond. And so, Somebody once told me that a farmer is the best kind of scientist um, because they have to do everything. They have to be a chemist. They have to be a physicist. They have to be meteorologists. They have to do all of this kind of stuff. So I have huge respect for our farmers. Um, Growing algae seems easy at first. And then if you've ever done it, just like Phoebe was talking about, and I've had the same experience, um, it's very difficult to keep track of. (laughs) It grows very quickly. And uh, it's not as simple as just putting it in the sun. but, you know, we, we do our best to help our farmers however possible.
3: I guess even from my very early on in, in the sort of career point is just coming from a design background and <clears throat> having my tutors at uni not really know what to do with me because I was like, hey, I want to do seaweed and they had no idea what I was going to do with that. Um, so I guess that kind of forced me to really integrate into all these different like professions that you were talking about earlier. So working with scientists and farmers and local communities and really bringing that network together and just sort of I guess I, I, at school I did a lot of science and then I dropped all of that to go and do design and it was really nice to sort of relearn how they could actually become one and how they're better integrated and this this industry doesn't it's not as segmented as other industries and it's quite flowing in between and it's actually quite open as well. I found. Um, so it's been really nice working with lots of different people.
2: Yeah. At the cutting edge is where you find the intersection of multiple disciplines because what we're doing hasn't been created yet, right? Like I'm wearing a t-shirt that was printed using living ink, algae ink, which is like leftover spirulina, um, in an ink binder on recycled water bottles um, that were then spun by fair trade labor in honduras right so like all of this and then printed using a local screen printer that we have with a design from one of the designers from uh, the electronic frontier foundation and so this is our like metal pond scum t-shirts um, so if you if you want to grab a limited edition go online and check it out but this this kind of product wouldn't have been possible without the globalization and then like these new intersecting disciplines, right? Like this, there's so many hands involved in this process that really everybody has a part to play and you can find some way of getting involved.
1: So I think something that I'm also kind of finding really interesting is this idea of the like knowledge base that I think on one hand, because this is a new field and there's this kind of opportunity to, not only create something that you can protect for your own gain, but then also to create a wealth of knowledge that many, many people can access. And that's something you've alluded to based on, um, I guess, the variety of disciplines, just looking at this material. Um, and so I wonder what your thoughts are um, as kind of two people pioneering in this field. How, how do you find that balance of knowledge transfer? And, and is that something that you kind of continue to consider in your own work?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think what we're doing right now is we're building kind of like the foundational underpinnings. Like if you could draw analogies and this is old and tired, this is the homebrew computer hacker club of the 1980s, right? But for biology, like what is the bio computer in this sense? And what we're trying to do is build foundational understanding and knowledge. And when we onboard people and board the team, um, what we're trying to do is communicate it really effectively so that um, you don't have a really long on-ramp to actually understand what's going on and how to use the material you can jump right in and experiment I think part of my ethos has always been democratizing science and the tools mm-hmm. of uh, creating entrepreneurial opportunity and so opening those up in such a way that anybody can get access to I think I imagine a world where in the future all of us are playing with DNA all of us are Going about growing algae in our own home, all of us are kind of fiddling with these different materials and being able to incorporate incorporate them in our daily practice and understandings. And so, um, yeah, lowering that bar, communicating effectively, making it so that we're building those foundations right now. Um, we've made a lot of breakthroughs and discoveries just over the past couple of months, and so it's really cool to see how these materials are malleable and you can play with them, and you can kind of find the intersection of everything. It's
3: very cool. I am at the, the opposite end. <laughs> I'm still filtering in lots of lots of knowledge and trying to decode scientific papers and then calling whichever scientist person I know to understand what's going on. But it's been really interesting sort of learning. And I think you picked up on a good point of like the communication of this like really complex understanding is so, so important. And it's one of the key things that I kind of established in my project of how things are best integrated into society. Because if we don't understand, then we we can't pass that knowledge on. It's how stories get passed on through generations. It's through a level of understanding and simplicity of it, and even of complex information. So this kind of story that we put forward needs to be of a certain level, as you were talking about earlier.
1: Thank you both so much um, for sharing your perspectives and your expertise um, and your progress in this area. I think the work that you're doing is something that I know I personally will continue to follow along with. And I'm sure that people listening would love to continue watching your progress in this space. Um, So how can people continue to engage with you?
2: Best way to get in touch with me is probably social media at that mystery Mr. that mre um or might follow my company at spear inc s-p-i-r-a-i-n-c uh, you can see tons of recipes and other stuff that we're doing with uh pigments from spirulina and other alg- algae please reach out anytime at elliot e-l-l-i-o-t at spirit inc.com
3: for me uh social media as well um at phoebe mls and currently building a company website as well um so that's that's to be released um but also come and find some of my work at the next few exhibitions so i'll be at grand designs live in the exile center in london i believe from the 28th of may, april until the 8th of may um, and then there's a few more coming after that but i'll share that all on social media
1: fantastic yeah. thank you both again so 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 much uh, for joining today and we'll be keeping our eyes on you. Bye for now. Thank you.
0: For more information about us, visit IOM3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using IOM3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.